Act Three of The Way of the World by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three, Scene One A Room in Lady Wishfort's House. Lady Wishfort at her toilet. Peg waiting. Merciful! No news of Foible yet? No, madam. I have no more patience. If I have not fretted myself till I am pale again, there's no veracity in me. Fetch me the red. The red, do you hear, sweetheart? An errant ash-colour, as I am a person. Look you how this wench stirs. Why dost thou not fetch me a little red? Didst thou not hear me, Mopus? The red ratafia, does your ladyship mean? Or the cherry brandy? Ratafia, fool? No, fool. Not the ratafia, fool. Grant me patience. I mean the Spanish paper, idiot. Complexion, darling. Paint, paint, paint. Dost thou understand that? Changeling, dangling thy hands like bobbins before thee? Why dost thou not stir, puppet? Thou wooden thing upon wires. Lord, madam, your ladyship is so impatient. I cannot come at the paint, madam. Mrs. Foible has locked it up and carried the key with her. Duh! A pox take you both. Fetch me the cherry brandy, then. Scene two. Lady Wishfort. <sighs> I'm as pale and as faint. I look like Mrs. Quamsick, the curate's wife that's always breeding. Wench, come, come, wench, what art thou doing? Sipping, tasting, save me. Dost thou not know the bottle? Scene three. Lady Wishfort, Peg with a bottle and china cup. Madam, I was looking for a cup. A cup, save thee. And what a cup hast thou brought? Dost thou take me for a fairy, to drink out of an acorn? Why didst thou not bring thy thimble? Hast thou ne'er a brass thimble clinking in thy pocket with a bit of nutmeg? I warrant thee. Come, fill, fill. So, again. Oh, see who that is. One knocks. Set down the bottle first. Here, here, under the table. What? Wouldst thou go with the bottle in thy hand like a tapster? As I'm a person, this wench has lived in an inn upon the road before she came to me, like Maritornes, the Asturian, and Don Quixote. No foible yet? No, madam. Mrs. Marwood. Oh, Marwood. Let her come in. Come in, good Marwood. Scene four. To them, Mrs. Marwood. I'm surprised to find your ladyship in deshabille at this time of day. Foible's a lost thing. Has been abroad since morning, and never heard of since. I saw her but now, as I came masked through the park, in conference with Mirabel. With Mirabel? You call my blood into my face with mentioning that traitor. She durst not have the confidence. I sent her to negotiate an affair, in which, if I'm detected, I'm undone. If that wheedling villain has wrought upon foible to detect me, I'm ruined. Oh, my dear friend, I'm a wretch of wretches if I'm detected. Oh, madam, you cannot suspect Mrs. Foible's integrity. No, he carries poison in his tongue that would corrupt integrity itself. 
If she has given him an opportunity, she has as good as put her integrity into his hands. Oh, dear Maud, what's integrity to an opportunity? Hark, I hear her. Dear friend, retire into my closet, that I may examine her with more freedom. You'll pardon me, dear friend, I can make bold with you. There are books over the chimney, Quarles and Prynne, and the short view of the stage, with Bunyan's works to entertain you. Go, you thing, and send her in. To Peg. Scene five. Lady Wishfort, Foible. Oh, Foible, where hast thou been? What hast thou been doing? Madame, I have seen the party. But what hast thou done? Nay, tis your ladyship has done, and are to do. I have only promised. But a man so enamoured, so transported, well, if worshipping of pictures be a sin, poor Sir Roland, I say. The miniature has been counted like. But hast thou not betrayed me, Foible? Hast thou not detected me to that faithless Mirabel? What hast thou to do with him in the park? Answer me. Has he got nothing out of thee? So the devil has been beforehand with me. What shall I say? Alas, madame, could I help it if I met that confident thing? Was I in fault? If you had heard how he used me, and all upon your ladyship's account, I'm sure you would not suspect my fidelity. Nay, if that had been the worst, I could have borne. But he had a fling at your ladyship, too, and then I could not hold. But, in faith, I gave him his own. Me? What did the filthy fellow say? Oh, madame, tis a shame to say what he said, with his taunts and his fleers, tossing up his nose. Hm, says he. What, you are hatching some plot, says he. You are so early abroad, or catering, says he, ferreting for some disbanded officer, I warrant. Half pay is but thin subsistence, says he. Well, what pension does your lady propose? Let me see, says he. What, she must come down pretty deep now. She's superannuated, says he, and— Arts oh, my life, I'll have him. I'll have him murdered. I'll have him poisoned. Where does he eat? I'll marry a drawer to have him poisoned in his wine. I'll send for Robin from Lockett's immediately. Poison him? Poison is too good for him. Starve him, madam, starve him. Marry Sir Roland and get him disinherited. Oh, you would bless yourself to hear what he said. A villain, superannuated. Hmm, says he. I hear you are laying designs against me, too, says he. And Mrs. Milliment is to marry my uncle. He does not suspect a word of your ladyship. But, says he, I'll fit you for that. I warrant you, says he. I'll hamper you for that, says he. You and your old frippery, too, says he. I'll handle you. Audacious villain, handle me. Would he durst? Frippery? Old frippery? Was there ever such a foul-mouthed fellow? I'll be married to-morrow. I'll be contracted to-night. The sooner the better, madame. Will Sir Rilland be here, sayst thou? When, foible? Incontinently, madame. No new sheriff's wife expects the return of her husband after knighthood, with that impatience in which Sir Rowland burns for the dear hour of kissing your ladyship's hand after dinner. Frippery? Superannuated frippery? I'll frippery the villain. I'll reduce him to frippery and rags, a tatterdemalion. 
I hope to see him hung with tatters like a long-lane penthouse, or a gibbet-thief, a slander-mouthed railer. I warrant the spendthrift prodigals in debt as much as the million lottery, or the whole court upon a birthday. I'll spoil his credit with his tailor. Yes, he shall have my niece with her fortune. He shall. He? I hope to see him lodge in Ludgate first, and angle into Blackfriars for brass farthings with an old mitten. Ay, dear foible, thank thee for that, dear foible. He has put me out of all patience. I shall never recompose my features to receive Sir Rowland with any economy of face. This wretch has fretted me that I am absolutely decayed. Look, foible. Your ladyship has frowned a little too rashly indeed, madame. There are some cracks discernible in the white vernish. Let me see the glass. Cracks, sayst thou? <gasps> Why, I am arrantly flayed. I look like an old peeled wall. Thou must repair me, foible, before Sir Rowland comes, or I shall never keep up to my picture. I warrant you, madame, a little art once made your picture like you, and now a little of the same art must make you like your picture. Your picture must sit for you, madame. But art thou sure Sir Rowland will not fail to come? Or will er uh, not fail when he does come? Will he be importunate, foible, and push? For if he should not be importunate, I shall never break decorums. I shall die with confusion if I am forced to advance. Oh, no, I can never advance. I shall swoon if he should expect advances. No, I hope Sir Rowland is better bred than to put a lady to the necessity of breaking her forms. I won't be too coy, neither. I won't give him despair. But a little disdain is not amiss. A little scorn is alluring. A little scorn becomes your ladyship. Yes, but tenderness becomes me best. A sort of a dyingness. You see that picture as a sort of a ha-foible, a swimmingness in the eyes? Yes. I look so. My niece affects it, but she wants features. Is Sir Rowland handsome? Let my toilet be removed. I'll dress above. I'll receive Sir Rowland here. Is he handsome? Oh, don't answer me. I won't know. I'll be surprised. I'll be taken by surprise. By storm, madame. Sir Rowland's a brisk man. Is he? Oh, then he'll importune, if he's a brisk man. I shall save decorums if Sir Rowland importunes. I have a mortal terror at the apprehension of offending against decorums. Oh, I'm glad he's a brisk man. Let my things be removed, good foible. Scene six. Mrs. Fainall, foible. Oh, foible, I have been in a fright, lest I should come too late. That devil, Marwood, saw you in the park with Mirabel, and I'm afraid will discover it to my lady. Discover what, madame? Nay, nay, put not on that strange face. I am privy to the whole design, and know that Waitwell, to whom thou wert this morning married, is to personate Mirabel's uncle, and, as such winning my lady, to involve her in those difficulties from which Mirabel only must release her, by his making his conditions to have my cousin and her fortune left to her own disposal. Oh, dear madame, I beg your pardon. It was not my confidence in your ladyship that was deficient, but I thought the former good correspondence between your ladyship and Mr. Mirabel might have hindered his communicating this secret. Dear Foible, forget that. Oh, dear madame, 
Mr. Mirabel is such a sweet, winning gentleman, but your ladyship is the pattern of generosity, sweet lady, to be so good. Mr. Mirabel cannot choose but be grateful. I find your ladyship has his heart still. Now, madame, I can safely tell your ladyship our success. Mrs. Marwood had told my lady, but I warrant I managed myself. I turned it all for the better. I told my lady that Mr. Mirabel railed at her. I laid horrid things to his charge. I'll vow, and my lady is so incensed that she'll be contracted to Sir Rowland to-night, she says. I warrant I worked her up that he may have her for asking for, as they say of a Welsh maidenhead. Oh, rare foible! Madame, I beg your ladyship to acquaint Mr. Mirabel of his success. I would be seen as little as possible to speak to him. Besides, I believe Madame Marwood watches me. She has a month's mind. But I know Mr. Mirabel can't abide her. Calls. John, remove my lady's toilet. Madame, your servant. My lady is so impatient, I fear she'll come for me if I stay. I'll go with you up the back stairs, lest I should meet her. Scene 7. Mrs. Marwood alone. Indeed, Mrs. Engine, is it thus with you? Are you become a go-between of this importance? Yes, I shall watch you. Why, this wench is the passe-partout, a very master-key to everybody's strong-box. My friend Fainall, have you carried it so swimmingly? I thought there was something in it, but it seems it's over with you. Your loathing is not from a want of appetite, then, but from a surfeit. Else you could never be so called, for from a principal to be an assistant, to procure for him. A pattern of generosity, that I confess. Well, Mr. Fainall, you have met with your match. Oh, man, man, woman, woman, the devil's an ass. If I were a painter, I would draw him like an idiot, a driveller with a bib and bells. Man should have his head and horns and woman the rest of him. Poor simple fiend. Madame Marwood has a month's mind, but he cannot abide her. It were better for him you had not been his confessor in that affair. Without you could have kept his counsel closer. I shall not prove another pattern of generosity. He has not obliged me to that with those excesses of himself, and now I'll have none of him. Here comes the good lady, panting ripe, with a heart full of hope and a head full of care, like any chemist upon the day of projection. Scene 8. To her, Lady Wishfort. Oh, dear Marwood, what shall I say for this rude forgetfulness? But my dear friend is all goodness. No apologies, dear madam. I have been very well entertained. As I'm a person... I am in a very chaos to think I should so forget myself. But I've such an oleo of affairs. Really, I, I know not what to do. Calls. Foible. I expect my nephew Sir Wilful every moment, too. Why, Foible? He means to travel for improvement. Methinks Sir Wilful should rather think of marrying than travelling at his years. I hear he is turned of forty. Oh. He's in less danger of being spoiled by his travels. I am against my nephew's marrying too young. It will be time enough when he comes back, and has acquired discretion to choose for himself. Methinks Mrs. Millamant and he would make a very fit match. He may travel afterwards. Tis a thing very usual with young gentlemen. I promise you, I have thought on't. And since tis your judgment, I'll think on't again. I assure you I will. I value your judgment extremely. On my word, I'll propose it. 
Scene 9. To them, Foible. Come, come, Foible. I had forgot my nephew will be here before dinner. I must make haste. Mr. Whitwood and Mr. Petulant are come to dine with your ladyship. Oh, dear! I can't appear till I am dressed. Dear Marwood, shall I be free with you again and beg you to entertain him? I'll make all imaginable haste. Dear friend, excuse me. Scene 10. Mrs. Marwood, Mrs. Millamant, Mincing. Sure, never anything was so unbred as that odious man. Marwood, your servant. You have a colour. What's the matter? That horrid fellow petulant has provoked me into a flame. I have broke my fan. Mincing, lend me yours. It's not all the powder out of my hair. No. What has he done? Nay, he has done nothing. He has only talked. Nay, he has said nothing neither. But he has contradicted everything that has been said. For my part, I thought Whitwood and he would have quarrelled. I vow, ma'am, I thought once they would have fit. Well, tis a lamentable thing, I swear, that one has not the liberty of choosing one's acquaintance as one does one's clothes. If we had that liberty, we should be as weary of one set of acquaintance, though never so good, as we are of one suit, though never so fine. A fool and a doily stuff would now and then find days of grace, and be worn for variety. I could consent to wear em, if they would wear alike, but fools never wear out. They are such drop-to-berry things, without one could give em to one's chambermaid after a day or two. T'were better so indeed. Or what think you of the playhouse? A fine, gay, glossy fool should be given there, like a new masking habit, after the masquerade is over, and we have done with a disguise. For a fool's visit is always a disguise, and never admitted by a woman of wit, but to blind her affair with a lover of sense. If you would but appear bare-faced now and own Mirabel, you might as easily put off petulant and witwood as your hood and scarf. And indeed, tis time, for the town has found it. The secret is grown too big for the pretense. Tis like Mrs. Primley's great belly. She may lace it down before, but it burnishes on her hips. Indeed, Millamant, you can no more conceal it than my lady Stramble can her face, that goodly face, which in defiance of her Rhenish wine-tea would not be comprehended in a mask. I'll take my death, Marwood. You are more censurious than a decayed beauty, or a discarded toast. Mincing, tell the men they may come up. My aunt is not dressing here. Their folly is less provoking than your malice. Scene 11. Mrs. Millamant, Mrs. Marwood. The town has found it. What has it found? That Mirabel loves me is no more a secret than it is a secret that you discovered it to my aunt, or than the reason why you discovered it is a secret. You are nettled. You are mistaken. Ridiculous. Indeed, my dear. You'll tear another fan if you don't mitigate those violent airs. Oh, silly. <laughs> I could laugh immoderately. Poor Mirabel. His constancy to me has quite destroyed his complacence for all the world beside. I swear I never enjoined it him to be so coy. If I had the vanity to think he would obey me, I would command him to show more gallantry. Tis hardly well bred to be so particular on one hand and so insensible on the other. But I despair to prevail, and so let him follow his own way. <laughs> Pardon me, dear creature, I must laugh. <laughs> Though I grant you tis a little barbarous. <laughs> what pity tis so much fine raillery and livid with so significant gesture should be so unhappily directed to Miss Carey. Huh? Dear creature, I ask your pardon. I swear I did not mind you. Mr. Mirabel and you both may think it a thing impossible, 
when i shall tell him by telling you oh dear what for it is the same thing if i hear it <laughs> that i detest him hate him madam oh madam why so do i and yet the creature loves me <laughs> how can one forbear laughing to think of it i am a sibyl if i am not amazed to think what he can see in me i'll take my death i think you are handsomer and within a year or two as young if you could but stay for me i should overtake you but that cannot be well that thought makes me melancholic now i'll be sad your merry note may be changed sooner than you think do you say so then i'm resolved i'll have a song to keep up my spirits scene twelve to them mincing the gentlemen stay but to comb madam and will wait on you desire mrs that is in the next room to sing the song i would have learnt yesterday you shall hear it madam not that there's any great matter in it but tis agreeable to my humour song by mr john eccles love 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 loves but the frailty the frailty of the mind when tis not tis not with ambition joined when tis not tis not with ambition joined tis not with ambition joined when tis not tis not with ambition joined when tis not tis not with ambition joined when tis not tis not with ambition joined tis not with ambition joined when tis not tis not with ambition joined a sickly 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 flame a sickly 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 flame which if not fed if not fed expires and feeding waste and feeding waste himself consuming consuming fires and feeding waste and feeding waste himself himself consuming fires himself himself consuming fools tis not to wound a wanton wanton boy or Insult a rival's eyes. If there's 
Scene thirteen. To them, petulant Whitwood. Is your animosity composed, gentlemen? Raillery, raillery, madam. We have no animosity. We hit off a little wit now and then, but no animosity. The falling out of wits is like the falling out of lovers. We agree in the main, like treble and bass. Ha, petulant. I in the main, but when I have a humour to contradict. I, when he has a humour to contradict, then I contradict too. What? I know my cue. Then we contradict one another like two battledores, for contradictions beget one another like Jews. If he says black's black, if I have a humour to say it is blue, let that pass, all's one for that. If I have a humour to prove it, it must be granted. Not positively must, but it may, it may. Yes, it positively must, upon proof positive. Aye, upon proof positive it must, but upon proof presumptive it only may. That's a logical distinction now, madam. I perceive your debates are of importance, and very learnedly handled importance is one thing and learning's another but a debate's a debate that i assert petulance an enemy to learning he relies altogether on his parts no i'm no enemy to learning it hurts not me that's a sign indeed it's no enemy to you no no it's no enemy to anybody but them that have it well, an illiterate man's my aversion. I wonder at the impudence of any illiterate man to offer to make love. That, I confess, I wonder at, too. Ah, to marry an ignorant that can hardly read or write. Why should a man be any further from being married, though he can't read, than he is from being hanged? The ordinaries paid for setting the psalm, and the parish priest for reading the ceremony and for the rest which is to follow in both cases a man may do it without book so all's one for that do you hear the creature lord here's company i'll be gone scene fourteen sir wilful whitwood in a riding dress mrs marwood petulant whitwood footman in the name of bartlemew and his fair what have we here "'Tis your brother, I fancy. Don't you know him?' "'Not I. Yes, I think it is he. I've almost forgot him. I have not seen him since the Revolution.' "'Sir, my lady's dressing. Here's company, if you please to walk in, in the meantime.' <laughs> "'Dressing! What, it's but morning here, I warrant, with you in London. We should count it towards afternoon in our parts down in Shropshire. Why, then, belike my aunt hadn't dined yet, our friend?' "'You're—' aunt sir my aunt sir yes my aunt sir and your lady sir your lady is my aunt sir why what dost thou not know me friend why then send somebody hither that does how long hast thou lived with thy lady fellow ha huh? a week sir longer than anybody in the house except my lady's woman why then belike thou dost not know thy lady if thou seest her ha huh, friend why truly sir i cannot safely swear to her face in a morning before she is dressed tis like i may give a shrewd guess at her by this time well prithee try what thou canst do 
if thou canst not guess inquire her out dost hear fellow and tell her her nephew sir wilful whitwood is in the house i shall sir hold ye hear me friend a word with you in your ear prithee who are these gallants really sir i can't tell here come so many here tis hard to know em all scene fifteen sir wilful whitwood petulant whitwood mrs marwood ooms this fellow knows less than a starling i don't think a knows his own name mr whitwood your brother is not behindhand in forgetfulness i fancy he has forgot you too i hope so the devil take him that remembers first i say save you gentlemen and lady for shame mr whitwood why won't you speak to him and you sir petulant speak and you sir no offence i hope salutes marwood no sure sir this is a vile dog i see that already no offence <laughs> to him to him petulant smoke him hmm, it seems as if you had come a journey sir <clears throat> surveying him round very likely sir that it may seem so no offence i hope sir smoke the boots the boots petulant the boots <laughs> maybe not sir thereafter as tis meant sir sir i presume upon the information of your boots why tis like you may sir if you are not satisfied with the information of my boots sir if you will step to the stable you may inquire further of my horse sir your horse sir your horse is an ass sir do you speak by way of offence sir the gentleman's merry that's all sir slife we shall have a quarrel betwixt an horse and an ass before they find one another out you must not take anything amiss from your friends sir you are among your friends here though it may be you don't know it if i am not mistaken you are sir wilful whitwood right lady i am sir wilful whitwood so i write myself no offence to anybody i hope and nephew to the lady wishfort of this mansion don't you know this gentleman sir hum what sure tis not yea by our lady but tis hard i know not whether tis or no yea but tis by the reckon brother antony what tony if faith what dost thou not know me by our lady nor i thee thou art so becraveted and so beperiwigged hard why dost not speak art thou o'erjoyed odso brother is it you your servant brother your servant why yours sir your servant again Sart, and your friend and servant to that and uh, <clears throat> and a flapdragon for your service sir and a hare's foot and a hare's scut for your service sir and you be so cold and so courtly no offence i hope brother Sart, sir but there is and much offence a pox is this your inns of court breeding not to know your friends and your relations your elders and your betters why brother wilful of salop you may be as short as a shrewsbury cake if you please but i tell you tis not modish to know relations in town you think you're in the country where great lubberly brothers slabber and kiss one another when they meet like a call of sergeants tis not the fashion here tis not indeed dear brother 
the fashion's a fool and you're a fop dear brother sard i've suspected this by our lady i conjectured you were a fop since you began to change the style of your letters and write in a scrap of paper gilt round the edges no bigger than a subpoena i might expect this when you left off honoured brother and hoping you are in good health and so forth to begin with a rat me night i'm so sick of a last night's debauch odds heart and then tell a familiar tale of a cock and a bull and a whore and a bottle and so conclude you could write news before you were out of your time when you lived with honest pumple nose the attorney of furnival's inn you could entreat to be remembered then to your friends round the reckon we could have gazettes then and doc's letter and the weekly bill till of late days <laughs> sly whitwood were you ever an attorney's clerk <laughs> of the family of the furnivals <laughs> ay ay but that was but for a while not long not long sure i was not in my own power then an orphan and this fellow was my guardian ay ay i was glad to consent to that man to come to london he had the disposal of me then if i had not agreed to that i might have been bound prentice to a felt maker in shrewsbury this fellow would have bound me to a maker of felts sad and better than to be bound to a maker of fops where i suppose you have served your time and now you may set up for yourself you intend to travel sir as i am informed belike i may madam i may chance to sail upon the salt seas if my mind hold and the wind sarve serve or not serve i shan't ask a license of you sir nor the weathercock your companion i direct my discourse to the lady sir tis like my aunt may have told you madam yes i have settled my concerns i may say now and am minded to see foreign parts if and how that the peace holds whereby that is taxes abate i thought you had designed for france at all adventures i can't tell that tis like i may and tis like i may not i am somewhat dainty in making a resolution because when i make it i keep it i don't stand shall i shall i then if i say it i'll do't but i have thought to tarry a small matter in town to learn somewhat of your lingo first before i cross the seas i'd gladly have a spice of your french as they say whereby to hold discourse in foreign countries here's an academy in town for that use there is tis like there may no doubt you will return very much improved yes refined like a dutch skipper from a whale fishing scene sixteen to them lady wishfort and fainall nephew you are welcome aunt your servant sir wilful your most faithful servant cousin fainall give me your hand cousin whitwood your servant mr petulant your servant nephew you are welcome again will you drink anything after your journey nephew before you eat dinner's almost ready i'm very well i thank you aunt however i thank you for your courteous offer sad i was afraid you would have been in the fashion too and have remembered to have forgot your relations here's your cousin tony belike i mayn't call him brother for fear of offence oh he's a rallier nephew my cousin's a wit, and your great wits always rally their best friends to choose. When you have been abroad, nephew, you'll understand raillery better. 
Fainall and Mrs. Marwood talk apart. Why then, let him hold his tongue in the meantime, and rail when that day comes. Scene 17. To them mincing. Mem, I come to acquaint your ladyship that dinner is impatient. Impatient? Why then, belike it won't stay till I pull off my boots. Sweetheart, can you help me to a pair of slippers? My man's with his horses, I warrant. Fie, fie, nephew! You would not pull off your boots here. Go down into the hall. Dinner shall stay for you. <laughs> My nephew's a little unbred. You'll pardon him, madam. Gentlemen, will you walk? Marwood? I'll follow you, madam, before Sir Wilful is ready. Scene 18. Mrs. Marwood, Fane All. Why then foibles aboard? An errant rank matchmaking board, and I it seems am a husband, a rank husband, and my wife a very errant rank wife, all in the way of the world. Is death to be a cuckold by anticipation, a cuckold and embryo? Sure I was born with budding antlers like a young satyr or a citizen's child. Is death to be outwitted, to be outjilted, outmatrimonied? If I had kept my speed like a stag, it were somewhat, but to crawl after with my horns like a snail and be outstripped by my wife. "'Tis scurvy wedlock. "'Then shake it off. "'You have often wished for an opportunity to part, "'and now you have it. "'But first prevent their plot. "'The half of Melamont's fortune "'is too considerable to be parted with to a foe, to Mirabel.' "'Damn him, that had been mine, "'had you not made that fond discovery. "'That had been forfeited, had they been married. "'My wife had added lustre to my horns "'by that increase of fortune. "'I could have worn them tip with gold.' though my forehead had been furnished like a deputy lieutenant's hall. They may prove a cap of maintenance to you still, if you can away with your wife, and she's no worse than when you had her. I dare swear she had given up her game before she was married. Hm, that may be. You married her to keep you, and if you can contrive to have her keep you better than you expected, why should you not keep her longer than you intended? The means, the means. Discover to my lady your wife's conduct. Threaten to part with her. My lady loves her, and will come to any composition to save her reputation. Take the opportunity of breaking it just upon the discovery of this imposture. My lady will be enraged beyond bounds, and sacrifice niece and fortune, and all at that conjuncture. And let me alone to keep her warm. If she should flag in her part, I will not fail to prompt her. Faith, this has an appearance. I am sorry I hinted to my lady to endeavour a match between Millamant and Sir Wilful. That may be an obstacle. Oh, for that matter, leave me to manage him. I'll disable him for that. He will drink like a dame. After dinner I'll set his hand in. Well, how do you stand affected towards your lady? Why, faith, I'm thinking of it. Let me see. I am married already, so that's over. My wife has played the jade with me. Well, that's over too. I never loved her, or if I had, why that would have been over too by this time. Jealous of her I cannot be, for I am certain, so there's an end of jealousy. Weary of her I am, and shall be. Now, there's no end of that. No, no, that were too much to hope, thus far concerning my repose. Now for my reputation. As to my own, I married not for it, so that's out of the question. And as to my part in my wife's, why, she had parted with hers before. So bringing none to me, she can take none from me. Tis against all rule of play that I should lose to one who has not wherewithal to stake. Besides, you forget, marriage is honourable. Hm, 
Faith, and that's well thought on. Marriage is honourable, as you say, and if so, wherefore should cuckoldom be our discredit, being derived from so honourable a root? Nay, I know not. If the root be honourable, why not the branches? So, so, why this point's clear. Well, how do we proceed? I will contrive a letter which shall be delivered to my lady at the time when that rascal who is to act Sir Rowland is with her. It shall come as from an unknown hand, for the less I appear to know of the truth, the better I can play the incendiary. Besides, I would not have Foible provoked if I could help it, because, you know, she knows some passages. Nay, I expect all will come out. But let the mine be sprung first, and then I care not if I am discovered. If the worst come to the worst, I'll turn my wife to grass. I have already a deed of settlement of the best part of her estate, which I wheedled out of her, and that you shall partake at least. I hope you are convinced that I hate Mirabel now. You'll be no more jealous. Jealous? No, by this kiss. Let husbands be jealous, but let the lover still believe, or if he doubt, let it be only to endear his pleasure, and prepare the joy that follows when he proves his mistress true. But let husbands' doubts convert to endless jealousy, or if they have belief, let it corrupt to superstition and blind credulity. I am single, and will herd no more with them. True, I wear the badge, but I'll disown the order. And since I take my leave of them, I care not if I leave them a common motto to their common crest. All husbands must, or pain or shame, endure. The wise too jealous are, fools too secure. End of Act Three of The Way of the World by William Congreve